the lottery factor, lost decades, and the sequence of return risk. Coming up next. Hey, before we start our episode, always remember if you don't want to be broke at 40 like I was, or if you are broke at 40, stay tuned on a weekly basis where I explore the basics of personal finance and more importantly, the behaviors that can bring you from broke to brilliance, whatever you think brilliance may be. And as always, this podcast is for entertainment and educational purposes only. Please consult with a financial advisor if necessary. My name is Evan Thomas, and this is the Broke at 40 podcast. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining me on the Broke at 40 podcast. And thank you for all of my new listeners that have been joining me over the past several months as we're going into the year 2022. I hope that many of you are doing really great with your money. You're saving every month. You're meeting your goals. And I hope that 2022 brings everything that you hope. Let me start by talking about my thoughts of the week. I wanted to share with you that I told you recently I was going to be doing a condo redesign 2022, and I started it, and I just wanted to share with you that, you know, sometimes we make little mistakes in our financial lives throughout the year and spend some money, and that's okay if you correct and you make, you know, allowances for the fact that you may have spent a little bit more money than you originally intended to. And what happened is I'm going through this condo redesign, but you know how we get influenced by media. We see pictures, we see things, and we want to like change our environment. And then we start thinking crazy thoughts about, you know, spending more money and you have to kind of reel yourself in and be like, what's going on? So I'm kind of in that mode right now. I shared with you just recently that, yeah, I was going to be doing a condo redesign, which I'm still doing. But, you know, yesterday I painted my living room white and I'm like, it looks like primer. Do you ever do anything like that? It's crazy. So I spent all this money on paint and I'm not liking it. Now, will I change my mind? Maybe. But I think one of the behaviors of successful people that start saving late in life is that they have to stop and correct and understand that they may have made a mistake and correct for it before it gets out of control. Because the norm of people in society today is to spend, spend, spend. And I can't even imagine what that must feel like where they try to pretend as though it's not happening. Like, let me give an example. Let's say you're in your forties right now and you're, you're spending and you found the broke at 40 podcast and you're interested in saving money over time and, you know, correcting the mistakes that you made. One of the skill sets is to always cross check and make sure that you make corrections before it gets out of control. And by that, I mean, I think a lot of people just spend money and they don't even think about what that really means. And so by, you know, keeping check on the three big things that we always talk about in the financial space, if you're late in life saving and you want to do well going forward, things like your home, 
you know, vacations, housing, transportation, all of those big ticket items, you've got to get those under control. Because if you don't, then you're just going to be behind the eight ball for decades into the future. So you guys know, I've been in my condo 19 years, 20 years next year, and I'm always trying to reinvent the space. And as I shared with you recently, I was thinking, okay, white walls are going to make me feel like the space is larger. Well, I just painted the walls and I'm like, again, it looks like primer. So I'm kind of struggling. And that's because I'm a creature of habit and I'm used to things being the same way, which has served me well over the past 15 years, because if I did not do that, I wouldn't be where I am today, financially speaking. So I hope you guys can learn from things like that, where, you know, if you do make a little mistake and, and this is a, this is a small mistake, really, I don't want to inflate this, but I'm making it larger in my mind because I want this to be a big mistake, but I can correct for it. And the way that I can correct for it, for example, I just spent I will be spending like $800. I bought this expensive paint. I don't know what I was thinking. And uh, these curtains that I have to return and get a different size. And so you know how when you're in a, the mix, the mist of that kind of chaos, which disrupts, disrupts your life a little bit, it can be fun, but at the same time, it's like, ugh. so I'm right in the middle of that. So on my financial spreadsheets, when I'm looking at my build a budget, I realize I'm like, okay, I made this mistake. I'm going to correct for it. I have to return something. It may be that I end up spending $800 on this redesign. 350 of that is on paint that I can't return. And now I have four gallons of paint I don't know what to do with. Crazy. Anyway, I can make the correction because when you have 12 months of a Build-A-Budget, if you're paying yourself money and you know, you have so much allocated for fun, then you just have to make corrections so that at the end of the year, you are at the same place that you would have been even if you didn't make that mistake. So I hope that's making sense. It's a precursor into today's episode where we're going to be talking about the lottery factor, lost decades, and the sequence of return risk. So with no further ado, let's get started with today's episode right now. Today's episode is something I also talked about just recently, which is I was reading an article and in that article, it said that, you know, financial people like Goldman Sachs and others feel that this year, 2022, for the next 10 years, could be a decade where we could have 0% returns on average for those 10 years. And I have to tell you, that kind of scares me. So I want to walk through this content today and anchor it to the sequence of return risk, because I've been doing some Googling and I read a book, Tony Robbins, I think it was the Money Masters or something like that. And so then I Googled his name and sequence of return risk, and I remembered exactly what he shared in a book that I want to share with you today. And, you know, I, I was thinking, and I think I shared with you just last week that um, the year 2000s was also a lost decade. And I, w I was thinking to myself, well, if I stop working coming up in the next year or so, 
if we do have a lost decade, what does that mean to me? What does that mean to you if you're continuing to work and save? So I wanted to start by talking about the lottery factor, and I just kind of made that up because I was reading Tony Robbins' article, and I wanted to anchor to what we always hear about the latte factor, the coffee factor, where, you know, can you really save a lot of money just by not going to Starbucks every day? Maybe. But that's small in comparison to the bigger ticket items that I talked about just a few minutes ago. But it's a buzzword. We hear things like latte factor, and we're like, okay, great, that sounds you know, pretty cute. Well, the lottery factor is something I want to talk about now, which is we cannot control when we are born. So you were born in a certain year. I was born in a year, 1966. I can never change that. I don't, I don't want to change that. But what that means is that the, this, the sequence of what happens in the market is lottery, right? You can't change it. What I mean by that is when we talk through the 4% return that we always hear about, and I think I've talked about this on a previous episode, where if you would have retired in 1966, the exact year I was born, then you still could have withdrawn, I guess, 4% of your portfolio. But after, I think it's 30 years or so, you're at zero. You still would have been okay. <clears throat> um, other year, other people that retired at different times would have done better. <clears throat> Excuse me. But that was the least, that was the year where the 4% rule still would have worked, where other years, if you retired, it would have been even better than that. Okay, so that's where that came from. And I started thinking about, you know, again, we cannot control when we are born. Let me switch gears a little bit and talk about the um, article that I found on Tony Robbins' website. And again, I read this in his book about sequence of returns. It's a fascinating concept. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about a couple of people here, uh, John and Susan. So John, let's say, is 65 years old and has accumulated about 500000 He says far more than the average American, and he's ready to retire. Like most Americans nearing retirement, he has a balanced portfolio of 60% stocks, 40% bonds, exactly where I am. Since interest rates are so low, John decides he will need to take out 5% or 25,000 of his nest egg each year to make his income needs for his most basic standard of living. <clears throat> when added to his social security payments, he should be just fine, it says. And he must also increase his withdrawal each year by 3% to adjust for inflation because each year the same amount of money will buy fewer goods and services. Okay. So that's the setup of the article of John. And I have some thoughts, which I'll circle back to here, that you know, 5% of your portfolio, in my opinion, is too high. <clears throat> but let me continue on in the article and talk about John. And of course, we're looking at from age 65 to 89, so about 25 years, which would be an average horizon in retirement. And so this person, John, has $500,000. Now, what they do is there's a graph 
and it goes through every single year of what the historical stock market gain was for that year. And then on the right of that, it says the withdrawal. So he starts at 25,000. The next year it's 25,750, then 26,523. It continues to go up 3%. And then the nest egg at the end or at the start of the year. So just picture that in your mind because you know we know that every year the stock market could be you know returning gains or it could be returning losses and if you scroll through and you think about this and i'm looking at the screen right now um at the very bottom it says his average return over those 25 years is 8.03 percent and he had to withdraw about 580,000 in this scenario but he would have lost, he would have been at zero at 83 years old. So he didn't quite make it to age 89 with money because in the first three years of when he retired at age 65, he had a 10% loss, a 13% loss, and then a 23% loss. So are you following me? So that happened right when he retired. And it also is highlighted of the 25 years, there are six years where there were negative returns. And the negative returns are what I just read, 10, 13, and 23, about 6%, about 2%, and about 38%. The other years were gains. Some years were 14%, some years were 2%, some, year was, some years were you know 0%. Just like what I've shared with you guys for myself, over time, as you know, I've I've logged either the percentage gain or the percentage loss of any given year. Remember, 2015 was like zero. 2013 was a great year. What was it? 20 some percent, maybe more. And then, as you know, 2019, 20 and 21 were also very, very good years. Now, I didn't have to retire during this time. But what if I did? See, so you're looking at your horizon of retirement. And you're saying of these 25 years, like in this example, what is the sequence of the returns? Well, for John, it happened to be that the sequence, the three years of initial loss was right there at the beginning. Now, what Tony did, and I think he did this in conjunction with Jack Bogle, the former CEO and president of Vanguard, who passed away a couple, a few years ago, um, in working with him, he came up with this and you know put this in his book. So that's John. Now Susan then is, you know, you scroll down into the article and you say, Susan also sixty-five years old. She also has five hundred thousand dollars. She's also going to withdraw five percent, or twenty-five thousand per year, but. When you look at her graph of 25 years, it's the same percentages of loss or gains each year, but it's just inverted. It's just inverted. Same percentages, but just now it's the, the three years, remember, of the 23% loss, the 13% loss, and the 10% loss were at the very end from her age 87, 88, and 89. Now, when you look at this, um, it's still the same percentage of return over time, 8.03. That doesn't change. Um, she is able to withdraw a little bit more because she can continue on. Because remember, John lost money or he was at zero at age 83. And she can continue to withdraw money. So she withdraws a little bit more. But 
the premise here is that, you know, John gets to zero at age 83 because he had those three years of big losses in the first three years of his retirement. Susan, however, because it was inverted, had a 12% gain her first year, 23% gain her second year. Her third year was about 26% gain. That's not unlike what we just saw for the year 2019, 20, and 21. But I didn't retire in 2019. But had I had the million or 1.3 or whatever I'm chasing uh, before I retire, and if I had that, are you following me? Then this would have been represented of, you know, I could have been at that place. You know, we can't change where we are and we can't change those returns. So think about that here for just a minute. Let me talk through and switch gears a little bit and talk through what that means to me. I'm not sure. <laughs> Basically, I just wanted to share with you and create an episode and talk through the importance of this. And yet it doesn't really change much in terms of again, the lottery factor. You cannot change when you were born and you can't change this, the sequence of returns, right? You cannot change any of that. So what I'm going to do is probably have another episode where I talk through, maybe after speaking with Vanguard, as you guys know, I signed up for their advisory services. I'm due for another appointment with them, maybe coming up here in the next month or so. And I'll share with you um, the result of that conversation, because you may recall, I was thinking about maybe not doing those advisory services anymore, which I still may not do, especially if I decide to continue working for another couple of years. I just might go on autopilot and continue on the path that I'm in, which as you know, is getting my cash reserves up so that if I do retire in a year or two, then hopefully I can circumvent or, you know, prevent this sequence of return risk. Now, in switching gears and talking about my thoughts, if I scroll through the article, it does say that, you know, it doesn't give an, uh, an answer here, but it just says, the last paragraph says, that's why we need better and less expensive solutions that protect against the sequence of return risk. And that is why downside protection is critical when maintaining exposure to equity market returns. Investors deserve risk management strategies that will help give them the financial freedom they deserve. So let's break that down a little bit. What that means to me, and again, I'm not a financial advisor. I'm just a guy talking about money on the internet. I am very interested in what they mean by this downside protection, but that's the end of the article. But I think what it means is exactly what I'm doing, which is what I've been sharing with you is that for me, my solution, and this is just my solution, and I am going to be talking about Vanguard and see if it's a good one. Remember, I shared with you before that they don't think I should have 110000 or whatever in cash, but I'm doing that now with the hopes of either taking that money and putting it in the market when it goes down, which I could have done in the first part of this year, but I didn't. But anyway, I'm still trying to build that cash reserves. A um, couple thoughts I have though first is that for John and Susan in this example, 5%, are you kidding me? That's too high. 
in my opinion, a 5% withdrawal rate, especially if you only have $500,000. You know, I've been talking to you guys about how my plan is 3%. And if, if 3% is the withdrawal that I take from my money, could that help circumvent this sequence of return risk? That's something I want to explore. And having cash reserves on the side to protect yourself on the downside to use that cash when markets are going down so you're not selling shares. So your 500,000 in the example of John and Susan doesn't get degraded and you can maintain that principle, if you will, and use the cash when markets are down. Like in the first three years in this example, unfortunately they only had 500,000. So John suffered because he was taking his 25 grand, right? Every year on top of all of those losses. Whereas if he had some money in cash, in my opinion, he could have used that instead of taking from the, the stocks and selling shares when they're down. So I think what I'm going to explore, and this will probably be a part two episode after my meeting with Vanguard, is that I think I'm just going to continue on the path that I'm on and you know keep that money and growing um, that I'm putting into my ally savings account to help protect times when it could be down. And in thinking of the, the lost decade, you know, again, I, you know, that's who wants to think that, you know, let's say you've got a million dollars and let's take returns out of the picture altogether. And let's take inflation out of the picture altogether. Let's say, for example, I needed $30,000, which is pretty close to what I need because my, remember my expenses are 15,000 a year. This is another reason why you should always keep your expenses low. 15,000 plus about 10,000, remember for healthcare, even though that could be lower if I get subsidies from the government, but I'm going to forecast 10,000, then maybe 5,000 or to maybe 7,000 for fun and other brings you to 30 or 32,000. So that's about a 3% withdrawal rate on the money as opposed to 5%. I think that is really going to help as well from this sequence of return risk. Hey guys, sorry, I thought I'd pop in. I just made a mistake. I wanted to finish my thought process and I didn't. So right now I'm walking to the grocery store. As you know, I been walking to the grocery store a couple times a week. I would encourage you to try to do the same. Use your body energy to go and get food. It's a great feeling. You get exercise. My legs hurt because I've been up and down on the chair painting. But anyway, the thought process I wanted to mention here just real quick is that in that scenario, if you had a million and you look at a lost decade, let's say you retire and um, taking inflation and, you know, investment returns out of the equation. If I take 30,000 every year, after the end of 10 years, that's 300,000. So your million would go to 700,000, you know, not taking into consideration anything else because that would be a 0%. Are you following me? So that's what I think about. Those are the kind of things I think about. It's like, then what happens? Does the 700,000 begin to build from there? Anyway, all right, I'll, let's get back to the rest of the episode. 
Well, thanks for joining me, everybody. That's what I have for you today on the Broke at 40 podcast. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And to anchor back to what I said earlier, I'm going to be sharing with you as I go my condo redesign. And what I want you to learn from this is that as you guys go throughout your life as a latent lifesaver, I want you to always be thinking that it's not always bigger and better. You don't always need something, you know, larger than what you have today. Reinvent yourself and reinvent your space so that it doesn't get out of control. And so my simple little story where I made a mistake, I spent a little bit too much money for my condo redesign of this year, that's okay. It didn't break the bank. I'm going back and I'm making adjustments in my build a budget, which I want you guys to do as well, so that you can come out ahead regardless. And it's the same thing with the lost decade, for example, in a sequence of return risk that we can't change what's gonna happen in the markets, but we can change our behavior and our money that we have within a certain amount of time and make adjustments so that we can get the same result at the end of that time frame. So I'm gonna leave you like I always leave you. I want you to make it your mission to walk with me to wealth. You guys know I appreciate you. I believe in you and I congratulate you for every step of the way. I'm Evan Thomas. I'll see you next week on the Broke at 40 podcast. All righty, that's going to do it for another episode, everybody. Hey, I've got a favor. If you've got a friend that's struggling financially at any age, please share this episode with them. Let them know that I went from broke to a million dollar net worth in just about 14 years. And if I can do it, anybody can. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star review. We would really appreciate it. What do I always say? It's okay to be broke at 40. It really is, but not at 50 or 55 now that you found us. You can change your financial destiny. I'm Evan Thomas, and this is the Broke at 40 podcast.